Well, welcome. I'm glad you could be with me today in the Unfolding the Word ministry as we continue our study of God's Word verse by verse. We're in the midst of an extended study of 1 John. We're in the third chapter now, and yesterday we began to look at verses 7 to 10 of that third chapter. I'm going to read those and pick up on our study together. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, meaning Jesus, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In these verses, we've been looking at the theme of how being born anew, as we repent and believe in the gospel, we are made new creations, and how being made new creations has really changed us as people. It truly has made us different. Those who know Christ, because of that change, because of that difference of that new birth, desire to be like Christ. We still stumble. We were looking at this yesterday. We still stumble at times, of course, even as redeemed children of God. But there's been a change at the deepest level of us. At our true heart level, we desire to live like Christ. We desire to grow. Obedience is what we want to do. Now, there's a war, as Romans 7 puts it, in the members of our bodies fighting against our heart on these issues. Then we, at times, will succumb to that pull of sin and stumble. But nonetheless, there's a distinctive difference that's occurred in the life of the believer who comes to know Christ. God's changed them at the deepest level. And the warning we looked at yesterday was in verse 7, let no one deceive you about this. People try to deceive us about that reality of that change, and the devil is the primary one operating behind the scenes to create deception about it. Let's continue on to look at this principle of the change that God has made in us and how all of that relates to this deceptive work of the enemy. Well, as verse 7 puts it, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Talking about the practice, the habitual orientation of a person's life. In verses 4 to 7, we looked much more at that particular issue, 4 to 6. But uh, a practice of sinning shows an individual's connection remains to the enemy of our souls, Satan, rather than to the Savior of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. So verses 7 and 8 are presenting to us that very life contrast that verses 4 to 6 did. A life contrast between a practice of righteousness in which there will be periodic stumbling and a practice of sinning in which there may be periodic efforts to do something right. <laughs> God says there are two different realities existing. The person that has come to know Christ makes a practice of righteousness 
stumbling periodically. The person who's never come to know Christ allows the fact that their heart hasn't changed to condition their perpetual practice. Remember sin we looked at earlier in the chapter is a lawlessness, a decision that we can run our own lives. We can make our own decisions about what's right or wrong. And God says, listen, a perpetual orientation of saying you're in the driver's seat is a perpetual orientation of sin. This word practice translates the Greek word poieo, which means literally to construct, make a path. Uh, it's describing somebody, you know, marking out a trail or even making a roadway for people to pursue. So it has the concept of continuing practice, practice that will produce a path that will be followed by others. And so what is the path that characterizes one's life? Is it a path that is intending to grow and become pleasing to the Lord? Is it a path that affirms the fact that you're the God of your own life, you'll make your decisions about what's right or wrong? What is the habitual pattern, the habitual path of a person's life? He tells us here that if the perpetual practice, the ongoing practice, the, the uh, path-making of an individual's life is in the direction of sin, it indicates a linkage remains to Satan. Not a linkage has been created to the Savior. It finds its source. Whoever makes a practice of sinning finds their source in the devil. It's of the devil, just as the devil has sinned from beginning. Let's understand, as it puts it here in verse 8, that the inner urging to practice sin, to be lawless in the sense of thinking you're in charge, not God, is tied to Satan's efforts. He has been seeking to deceive mankind about it since the Garden of Eden, since the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Sin, as you remember, is lawlessness, not so much a question of ethics as it is a question of lordship. Somebody might well be trying to do what is right in their own eyes, but as Proverbs warns us, what's right in their own eyes can be a pathway that leads to death. No, Satan has been trying to deceive men and women into believing they can make the choices about what is right and wrong for them, rather than living surrendered to the purpose and plan of God. Satan, therefore, is engaged in encouraging us to ignore God's commands, to replace them with our own rational thinking about what ought to be right or what not's right, what's good for us, what's not good for us. Ultimately, Satan's goal in all of that is to tempt us, convince us, to ignore the greatest of the commandments. You remember Jesus elaborated on that. The greatest of the commandments is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. In other words, to make him first place in our life. If I'm convinced I'm in charge, if I'm convinced I can make the judgment calls about what's right, then I'm the one in first place in my life, not God. Satan's great attempt is to make us lawless. He wants us oriented as he is oriented to be opposed ultimately 
to God's rightful role in our lives in God's truth. He tells us here that the devil, in verse 8, has been sinning from the beginning. In other words, after being created, sin was found in him. The scripture develops that for us. From the beginning of Satan's encounter with mankind, which occurred after he had sinned initially, he has been involved in trying to get us to sin. Nothing new here. As you turn to Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible, you see Satan's active involvement to try to foster sin and rebellion against God. And you will see it throughout all of the scripture, right into the final book of the scripture, the book of Revelation, and then all the way to the end of that, until finally he is judged. Finally, he is cast into the lake of fire. Satan's great goal is to encourage humanity to follow his lead, a lead that says, you are in charge, not God. Oh, that doesn't mean there won't be some religious tokenism in one's life. It just means it's at your beck and call, at your choice. You're the one who is truly the Lord. And it does not trouble you that the greatest of the commandments is not characteristic of your life. That's Satan's great effort. Satan's goal is to take people and encourage people to develop the pathway of sinning, of lawlessness, to develop the habit pattern of life, to construct the road, construct the path. Therefore, it's accurate to say, as this passage tells us, that all deceptions about sin and all deceptions about this issue of who should be first in our life are all ultimately sourced in him. Now, he might be using agents, human and otherwise, to foster those ideas, but it ultimately has its source in him. John chapter 8, verse 44 tells us about Satan. Jesus describes him. He says, listen, he's a liar from the beginning. <laughs> he is a liar from the beginning. One of Satan's great lies is to get people to believe that salvation will not affect life patterns. For the person that's been saved, he tries to foster complacency and carnality, a refusal to let Christ be Lord. In the person who is not saved, he wants to convince them they don't need to be, that they can just turn over some new leaves, just decide in their own mind what they think might be good, and if they do that, everything will be okay. He wants us to take the lukewarm path, whereas Revelation chapter 3 warns us that path is one that makes the Lord sick and he spews us out of his mouth. Well, join me tomorrow as we continue along this line and discover how the Lord Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, to undercut that very effort of deception. God bless.